here this morning, we're in the middle of a series in the book of Habakkuk. Maybe you didn't know if Habakkuk was a person, place, or thing. Uh, Habakkuk was a prophet 2,600 years ago, a long time ago. The end of the Hebrew Bible, if you look at the end, there's all these small books written by prophets called the minor prophets only because their books are small. Habakkuk's one of those. If you need to cheat, look in the, uh, you know, the contents of your Bible to find the page. Uh, Habakkuk, small book, three chapters. And we've been, right now, this is the, yeah, right? We've already gotten through a lot of material. Basically, the question is, uh, what do we do when life doesn't make sense? That's the series title, When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Because for Habakkuk, he saw his country, this small Jewish kingdom in the south of Israel, in Judah, Jerusalem, he saw his country breaking the covenant they had with God, turning to idols. He saw the moral filth around him. He cried out, violence, Lord, what are you going to do about this? And then the Lord responds to Habakkuk and says, I'm going to deal with it, and I'm going to use an even worse nation, a more evil to, to chastise, to discipline my people. I'm going to use the Chaldeans or Babylonians, same people. I'm going to use them to discipline Israel. And Habakkuk is like, what? Lord, they're worse than us. How could you, how could you use someone more evil to, to correct someone more righteous? He complains to God. He basically says, why do you, Lord, idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Next from the mouth of the prophet. Don't worry, there's some reverence there too, but Habakkuk is struggling. He wants to know, and basically then God's answer to him is, will you trust me? Then in a world that doesn't make sense, how do the righteous live? Habakkuk, he says, the righteous lives by his faith. That was last, uh, what, two weeks ago. We took a break last week. The last sermon in the series. God is basically asking Habakkuk, will you trust me? And then he keeps speaking. The Lord gives the second part of his answer. The rest of the story. That's this morning's topic. But before we get too much into it, I think we better pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're Lord over the whole earth. And you're the one who holds it all. Help us to trust you when it doesn't make sense. You know what you're doing, I don't. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as your people around the world worship you in, in, well, in most languages. I pray that your glory would spread to the whole earth and especially to those languages that aren't worshiping you today, the unreached peoples of this world. Like you said in this text, we pray that you would, would teach us what you're doing and use me as your servant this morning. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see from, to see from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the rest of the story. I'm going to read it. This is what Habakkuk hears from the Lord. Verse 6, see, Habakkuk 2, starting with verse 6. 
Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, and again, this is to the Chaldeans now, how God's going to deal with them. And say, woe to him who, help, who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high. To be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall. And the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood. And founds a city on iniquity. Behold it is not from the Lord of hosts. That people labor merely for fire. And nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation. Then he makes speechless, when he makes speechless idols, woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach... Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. Amen. The best is yet to come. That's the big idea. The best is yet to come. That's a Frank Sinatra song, isn't it? Tony Bennett sang that song too, I read. That was before my time. Before most of your times, too, actually. Uh, the best is yet to come. Do we really need to hear that message? That's what I wondered. I, I could imagine preaching this sermon in Jordan. And people around, would see, you know, they see the tragedy, the injustice, the violence, all of its, its results. People would get it like that. Yeah. I need to hear the best is yet to come. I don't see it around me. We live, uh, well, most of us live in Williamsburg here. And I look around my life, you know, my town, and it's not too bad, really. It's first thought that came to my mind, at least. Most of the bad news I read about is pretty far away, thankfully. Baltimore was a little close, but other than that, it, most of it's far away. It's over there. And so I wonder... What are we needing to hear? I think, are we on the edge of our seats wanting a morsel from this text? And then I realized, you know, just thinking even this week, I think we do really need it. That we all feel the pain of brokenness. We can look around us too. 
Our church is seeing more and more homeless people. We, we have relationships now with the homeless here in Williamsburg. Go down to the train station and speak with some of them. They'll know the hope in the truth, if it is true, that the best is yet to come. You could go and see the fatherless children in so many households in our town, children who have no fathers and no male figures in the household. You'll see the injustice, even in our economy, that hard work doesn't always pay now. That's a part of the curse. It wasn't the way God meant it to be. The best is yet to come speaks to that. We think about all of the, the injustice, maybe even the, like the retired couple who thought they saved enough, but then realized they're not going to be able to live anywhere near the lifestyle they had hoped for. And they struggle financially. The best is yet to come. And I praise God that we actually have a, a generation of young people now who are caring a whole lot about social justice. About this world and its ills. And they see it. They, they perceive it more sharply than maybe even future gen or past generations did. Uh, you go to Urbana, the great missionary conference that InterVarsity hosts every so many years. And half of the subjects now are on justice issues. How the gospel speaks to our world and brings change and what God is doing. So that's the message that in a world where people's labor is just fuel for the fire, where life doesn't make sense, and the nations exhaust themselves for nothing, how are we to live? And his first answer to Habakkuk, the Lord said, the just will live by their faith. And today, he also adds to it, and the best is yet to come, I'm going to deal with the injustice. I'm going to work. I'm going to punish the evil, and my glory will cover the whole earth. That's the big idea. So I put it all out there, no surprises this morning. That's the, that's the message. The Lord is going to judge the wickedness of the Chaldeans too. He's not going to let them off the hook. He's not done with them. And not only that, he's going to turn injustice on its head. His glory is going to be over the whole earth. So the text is our outline. The text is the first woe against the Chaldeans, the second woe, the third woe, and then this interruption, this glorious, bright interruption we'll talk about, and then the fourth woe, the fifth woe, and then finally this, this burning focus at the end, worship. That's where we're headed. So woe number one, woe. <laughs> what is a woe? I heard this morning a woe is a Dr. Seuss character, actually. No, sorry. A woe, it's a language for a funeral. It's a lament, a eulogy. It's a woe in mourning, the loss, the death of someone. That's what a woe is. It's a little edgy and ironic here because the woe is for a nation that hasn't died yet. It's pre-funeral. It's a woe. Not very flattering either. And who is speaking? This is kind of unique. Who is speaking? It's the victims. Just before our passage, verse 5, talking about he gathers for himself all nations, collects as his own all peoples, and here's our text, shall not all these take up their taunt against him? The nations, the victims, including Israel, God's own people, they're the ones speaking the woe. When have you ever heard of a victim speaking, mourning over the sure destruction of, of their persecutor. 
That's what we see here. The victims mourning the eventual destruction of the persecutors. God gives voice to those victims. That's, that's a part of Habakkuk here. They have a voice. So woe number one. Look at verse, middle of verse six. Basically, woe on the Chaldeans' lust for conquest and plunder. Woe on their lust for conquest and plunder. And their debts will come due. And their creditors will come knocking and they will tremble at their creditors surrounding them. The Chaldeans are going to get a dose of their own medicine. That those you plundered others, now you're going to be plundered. Woe on their lust for conquest and plunder. That's the first woe. They're going to be plundered. The creditors are going to come knocking. Woe number two. Verse 9. Woe on their efforts to build a permanent empire, basically. Woe on their efforts to build a permanent empire for themselves with their cruelty and unjust gain. That's the second woe. Read the language. Woe to him who gets evil, verse 9, gets evil gain for his house, to see his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. It's like an eagle, the picture here. An eagle makes its nest up high, untouchable. And the Chaldeans think they've done the same thing. But God says, you're going to be publicly shamed. You have devised shame for your house, verse 10, by cutting off many people. You've cut off others, you've killed. Now you're going to be shamed. You think you're high and lofty like the eagle's nest. You saw the, if you saw the Babylonian walls, the walls of Babylon, these massive thick walls that a chariot could race along the top of with gates all around the city, it was impressive. That nest will fall. Even the building materials are going to cry out against them. For the stone will cry out, verse 11, from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. The materials of that empire that was built in unjust gain are going to cry out against them, testify against them, as it were. Now, Babylonians would have used bricks to build their houses, not the stones common in Israel. But God isn't speaking to Babylonians here, is he? He's speaking to Habakkuk and his own people. To courage, encourage them. The building materials of the empire of these Chaldeans are going to turn against them. This is God's judgment on unrighteousness, the filth. He's going to do it. He hasn't forgotten. Yes, he's going to punish his own children, but how much more is the punishment against his enemies? I can't help but think, you know, last week we heard about the just shall live by faith, and Paul quoted that in Romans the just shall live by faith. I can't help but think that Paul's meditation kept going because Paul also said right after that verse in Romans chapter 1, for the just shall live by faith for the wrath of God is revealed. Verse 18 in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is something for all time, basically. Paul saw it as still part of God's program. Habakkuk was mistaken when he said in his first cry to God, justice never goes forth, Habakkuk told the Lord. He was mistaken. Justice does go forth. It's God's justice. And while he might use the Chaldeans as a rod to his people, whom he loves, what they're going to get is far worse. That's the difference between discipling your children and destroying your enemy. 
That's the second woe. The third woe, verse 12. Basically, woe on the Chaldeans, woe for building cities on top of blood and sin. Woe to him who builds a town with blood, verse 12, and founds a city on iniquity. And then, it's not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and the nations weary themselves for nothing. That all the work of generations was destroyed when the Babylonians built towns on blood and, and sin. I think about the generation now that's being destroyed in parts of the Middle East. You can look at ISIS's work, building cities and towns and really the beginnings of a nation state on blood. And then we also have to repent as a nation ourselves. Because I see how our dealings as a country, in, in some cases when we came here as foreigners with the original people of this land, we built places on blood. The blood of the Native American people here. Woe for building cities on top of blood and sin. God does not forget that. He will deal with it. That's the cruelty we see in our world. God cares about that. And we're getting pretty dark here in this third woe. And now a glimmer of light. Because at the end of this woe, verse 14, we get a little stream of light, a big stream of light actually, in the midst of darkness. What does it say? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. Wow. You know, in a Hebrew list, oftentimes the middle thing is the most important, the highlighted thing. We always think, you know, you, you state the most important thing first and then it, you keep going. But in a lot of the Old Testament, in the middle is the most important thing. Maybe at the end too, but the middle is the, the most important in a list. This is stuck right in the middle of five woes. Woe one, two, three, and then this. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like waters cover the sea. God's rights are going to be served. That justice will be undone. Injustice will be undone. That He's the Lord, isn't He? He created this world to reflect His majesty. He's going to fix this. You know, in the biblical tradition, what is the opposite of evil? It's God. We like to say good, but... Who is really good? Jesus reminded, reminded us God is only good. What is the opposite of evil? It's God himself. Good finds its meaning in him. He's going to stop the violence. He's going to extinguish the evil. He's the one who's going to defend the weak. Make work profitable again like he first meant it to be when he made it. The glory of the Lord will cover the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This is the kingdom of God coming full. You ever read, you know, Revelation chapter 21, 22? You get a picture of this in a vision. That we talk about going to heaven. But in the end, heaven is going to come down to this earth. God's remaking the earth and, and making a new heaven. He's going to fix it all. This is the, this is the end game. This is the reality that's over every other short-term reality we see, we, that we feel. And then, 
The glory of the Lord will cover the earth. Think about this. I, I really believe Habakkuk and his, his listeners would have been very surprised by that. The glory of the Lord will cover Israel. You think of the glory of the Lord, that's the temple. That's where God's presence was in that most holy place, that central room on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord is present there. And Habakkuk is told, my glory is going to cover the whole earth. That's a surprising thing for a Jew to hear. It's not new, though. God's presence is filling the earth, not just Israel, and this is mission. Jesus talked about this. Jesus called himself the light of the world. Why didn't he say, I'm the light of Israel? I think his hearers would have probably expected that. The Lord was always the light of Israel. He was the fire, the pillar of fire by day, leading them through the wilderness. The light of Israel is the Lord. Jesus then said, I'm the light of the world, expanding it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John writes, and we beheld his glory. God's mission is expanded. Do you remember in John's gospel too when Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, you know, the Pharisees are looking at him and they say among themselves, look, the whole world is going after him. And then it says that some Greeks wanted to, to meet with Jesus after that. Giving us a little wink. Yes, that's exactly what's happening. The whole world is going after him. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. What Paul later called the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And of course, Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be witnesses to me here in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and where? To the uttermost ends of the earth. And then Pentecost happened. And languages, people from all over the world heard for the first time in their own language. The gospel was spreading to the world. At Pentecost, it started like that. The glory of the gospel, sorry, the, the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, is going to the ends of the earth. I like to say, if you want to follow the Lord Jesus, you better be prepared to go to the ends of the earth because that's where he's going. Get a passport if you don't have one. Be ready. This task is unfinished. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is not in every language, in every person, every people group. Who's going to go and reach the Muslim Ansari people in Bangladesh who are a completely unreached people group? Who's going to go to the Jat Sikh in India and share the gospel with them in a way they'll understand? Or the Nejdi Bedouin in Syria that I have a heart for personally? Completely unreached. Not enough believers among them or any to reach themselves, their own people group, their own language group. Who's willing to go to the Annette's people who live in northern Russia, up these rivers, remote, completely unreached, not one believer known among them? Matthew tells us Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, to all nations, and then the end will come. I pray, I pray that God would send someone from this room now to an unreached people group. 
to join him in what he's doing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. The best is yet to come. He's going to have the final victory. It's going to happen. That was our glimmer of light. Back to the woes, actually. Woe number four, verse 15. Basically, woe for the Chaldeans' cruelty to conquered nations, how they shamed nations. Woe on them. Woe on him, verse 15, who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. And here's God's answer to it. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. The Chaldeans' glory will turn to shame. And then woe number five. And this woe doesn't begin with a woe. Woe is in the middle again. Verse, verse 18. Woe for their idols. Woe that they have traded the living God for a worthless made thing. Man-made. And then I think of our idols. Tim Keller has a great definition for idols. He is good at talking about them. He, he says, what is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. There are idols in our world and they're so attractive. Why? Why is an idol so nice? Maybe because it doesn't speak. There's no holy living God to speak to you. Convict of sin. Speak truth. No, an idol you can manipulate and think you have a handle on. Do what it, you think it needs and manage it, you think. And we speak to them. Suit ourselves with how we, we manage our idols. That's what makes an idol so attractive. Even if it's, a, if it's a carved image, it's very attractive. Or if it's money or whatever else our hearts go after in our context. More common. Go to India, you'll see idols. Go anywhere on this earth, you'll see idols. In our hearts. They're very attractive. And they have traded idols. Or excuse me, they have traded the living God for idols. The rampant idolatry. Woe on the Chaldeans for their idols. And then the burning focus at the end. The last word. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It's swapped there. We are silent before him. He speaks. He's in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before him. That's the end of the woes. Woe on their lust for conquest and plunder, Habakkuk was told. Woe on the Chaldeans' efforts to build a permanent empire for themselves with their cruelty and unjust gain. Woe for building cities on top of blood and sin. Then we get our glimmer of light of what God's doing. And then back to woe for their cruelty to conquered nations and finally woe for their idols. Those are the woes. And in the end, worship. That's the end. That's what's really going to happen. That's the end of history. 
that the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of it, will cover the earth as, no, as, as waters cover the sea. This is God's grand strategy, program in history. That God is going to right the wrongs. He's going to turn evil in on itself. Do you believe that? The righteous, do you believe? Do you have faith? Are you going to live by faith in this? That God is going to oppress the oppressor. That he's going to plunder the plunderer. And that his glory is going to, to, to dominate. That is the end of history. And it will, he will be glorified in the end. That's what we long for. That's what our faith is in. This is the goal of missions. The worship, the glory of the Lord over the whole earth. We live by faith that the best is yet to come. And that best is worship in the glory of the Lord. Amen.